TED Talks are recorded live at the TED Conference and produced with WNYC New York Public Radio. This episode features Jacqueline Novogratz, founder of the Acumen Fund and pioneer of a new market-based philanthropy. TED Talks are made possible through the support of BMW, where ideas are everything. Here's Jacqueline Novogratz. So I want to start with a story from when I was 12 years old. Um, My uncle Ed gave me a beautiful blue sweater, at least I thought it was beautiful, and it had fuzzy zebras walking across the stomach and Mount Kilimanjaro and Mount Meru kind of right across the chest that were also fuzzy. And I wore it whenever I could, thinking it was the most fabulous thing I owned. Until one day in ninth grade, um, when I was standing with a number of the football players, and um, my body had clearly changed, and Matt Mussolino, who was undeniably my nemesis in high school, um, said in a booming voice that we no longer had to go far away to um, go on ski trips, but we could all ski on Mount Novogratz. And um, I was so humiliated and mortified that I immediately ran home to my mother and chastised her for ever letting me wear the hideous sweater. We drove to the Goodwill, and we threw the sweater away somewhat ceremoniously, my idea being that I would never have to think about this sweater nor see it ever again. Fast forward, 11 years later, I'm a 25-year-old kid um, working in Kigali, Rwanda, jogging through the steep slopes. When I see 10 feet in front of me a little boy, 11 years old, running toward me wearing my sweater. And um, I'm thinking, no, this is not possible. But so curious, I run up to the child, of course scaring the living bejesus out of him, grab him by the collar, turn it over, and there is my name written on the collar of this sweater. And um, I tell that story because it has served and continues to serve as metaphor to me about the level of connectedness that we all have on this earth. Um, We so often don't realize what our action and our inaction does to people we think we will never see and never know. I also tell it because it tells a larger contextual story of what aid is and can be, that this story traveled into the goodwill in Virginia and moved its way into the larger industry, which at that point was giving millions of tons of secondhand clothing to Africa and Asia, which was a very good thing, providing low-cost clothing. And at the same time, certainly in Rwanda, it destroyed the local retailing industry. Not to say that it shouldn't have, but that we have to get better at answering the questions that need to be considered when we think about consequences and responses. So I'm going to stick in Rwanda, circa 1985-1986, I was doing two things. I had started a bakery with 20 unwed mothers. And because we had a good business model, we actually did it. And I watched these women transform on a micro level. But at the same time, I started a microfinance bank, which now is a worldwide movement. You talk about a meme. But then it was quite new, especially in an economy that was moving from barter into trade. We got a lot of things right. We focused on a business model. We insisted on skin in the game. The women made their own decisions at the end of the day as to how they would use this access to credit to build their little businesses, earn more income so they could take care of their families better. Um, The genocide happened in 1994, seven years after these women all worked together to build this dream. And the good news was that the institution, the banking institution, lasted. In fact, it became the largest rehabilitation lender in the country. Um, The bakery was completely wiped out. The lessons for me were that Accountability counts. Got to build things with people on the ground, 
understand, however complex we may be, incentives matter. On the one hand, I absolutely agree with him, and I was so thrilled to see what happened with the G8 that the world, because of people like Tony Blair and Bono and Bob Geldof, the world is talking about global poverty, the world is talking about Africa in ways I have never seen in my life. It's thrilling. And at the same time, what keeps me up at night is a fear that we'll look at the victories of the G8, $50 billion in increased aid to Africa, $40 billion in reduced debt, as the victory, as more than chapter one, as our moral absolution. And in fact, what we need to do is see that as chapter one, celebrate it, close it, and recognize that we need a chapter two that is all about execution, all about the how-to. And if you remember one thing from what I want to talk about today, it's that the only way to end poverty, to make it history, is to build viable systems on the ground that deliver critical and affordable goods and services to the poor in ways that are financially sustainable and scalable. If we do that, we really can make poverty history. I want to talk a little bit about who the poor are, because we too often talk about them as these strong, huge masses of people yearning to be free, um, when in fact, four billion people on Earth make less than $4 a day. That's who we talk about when we think about the poor. If you aggregate it, it's the third largest economy on Earth, and yet most of these people uh, go invisible. Where we typically work is people making between $1 and $3 a day. Who are these people? They, t- they are farmers and factory workers. They work in governments, they're drive- in government offices, they're drivers. They typically pay for critical goods and services like water, like health care, like housing, and they pay 30 to 40 times what their middle-class counterparts pay. Um, certainly where we work in Karachi and um, Nairobi. The uh, poor also are willing to make and do make smart decisions if you give them that opportunity. So two examples. One is in India where there are 240 million farmers, most of whom make less than $2 a day. Uh, where we work in Aurangabad, the land is extraordinarily parched, and um, you see people on average making 60 cents to a dollar. This guy in pink is a social entrepreneur named Amitabha. What he did was see what was happening in Israel, larger approaches, and figure out how to do a drip irrigation, which is a way of bringing water directly to the plant stock. He's talking to farmers. This family here, Sarita and her husband, bought a $15 unit um, when they were living in a literally a three-walled lean-to with a corrugated iron uh, roof. And um, they, after one harvest, they had increased their income enough to buy a second system to do their full quarter acre. A couple of years later, I meet them. They now make $4 a day, which is pretty much middle class for India. And they showed me the concrete foundation they just, la- they just um, laid to build their house. Um, and I swear you could see the future in that woman's eyes, um, something I truly believe. Malaria is a disease that kills... One to three million people a year. 300 to 500 million cases are reported. It's estimated that Africa loses about $13 billion a year to the disease. $5 can save a life. We can send people to the moon. We can see if there's life on Mars. Why can't we get $5 nets to 500 million people? The question, though, is not why can't we. The question is how can we help Africans do this for themselves? We started by making a $350,000 loan to the largest traditional bed net manufacturer in Africa um, so that they could transfer technology from Japan and build these long-lasting five-year nets. Um, Today, three years later, the company has employed another 1,000 women. It's the largest company 
in Tanzania. So the production side is working. On the distribution side, though, as a world, we have a lot of work to do. Right now, 95% of these nets are being bought by the UN and then given primarily to people um, around Africa. We're looking at building on some of the most precious resources of Africa, um, people, they're women. And so I want you to meet Jacqueline, my namesake, 21 years old. If she were born anywhere else but Tanzania, I'm telling you she could run Wall Street. She runs two of the lines and has um, already saved enough money to put a down payment on her house. She makes about $2 a day. Um, is creating an education fund and told me she is not uh, marrying nor having children until these things are completed. And um, took Jacqueline into the area where she lives. She brought 10 of the women with whom she interacts together to see if she could sell these nets $5 a piece, despite the fact that people say nobody will buy one. And we learned a lot about how you sell things, not coming in with our own notions, because she didn't even talk about malaria until the very end. First, she talked about comfort, status, beauty. These nets, she said, you put them on the floor, bugs leave your house. Children can sleep through the night. The house looks beautiful. You hang them in the window. We've started making curtains. And not only is it beautiful, but people can see status that you care about your children. Only then did she talk about saving your, ch- her, your children's lives. Um, a lot of lessons to be learned in terms of how we sell goods and services to the poor. I want to end just by saying that there's enormous opportunity uh, to make poverty history. To do it right, we have to build business models that matter, that are scalable, and that work with Africans, Indians, people all over the developing world who fit in this category to do it themselves. Because at the end of the day, it's about engagement. It's about understanding that people really don't want handouts, but they want to make their own decisions. They want to solve their own problems. And that by engaging with them, not only do we create much more dignity for them, but for us as well. And so um, I urge all of you to think next time as to how to engage with this notion um, and this opportunity that we all have to make poverty history by really becoming part of the process and moving away from an us and them world and realizing that it's about all of us and the kind of world that we together want to live in and share. Thank you. That was Jacqueline Novogratz, recorded at TED Global in Oxford, England, July 2005. TED Talks are produced by WNYC New York Public Radio for TED. TED Talks are made possible through the support of BMW, where ideas are everything. For more information on TED, visit TED.com.